Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest from the state capitol, addiction counseling gaps throughout Minnesota, and the U of M Athletic Department celebrates Black History Month. But first, this week, Senator Amy Klobuchar made it official. On an island in the middle of the mighty Mississippi, in our nation's heartland, at a time when we must heal the heart of our democracy and renew our commitment to the common good, I stand before you as the granddaughter of an iron ore miner, as the daughter of a teacher and a newspaper man, as the first woman elected to the United States Senate from the state of Minnesota, to announce my candidacy for President of the United States. Klobuchar made the announcement in front of thousands of supporters on a cold, snowy Sunday in Minneapolis's Boom Island Park. We are tired of the shutdowns and the showdowns, of the gridlock and the grandstanding. Today, on this snowy day on this island, we say enough is enough. Klobuchar is in her third six-year term as U.S. Senator and was formerly a prosecutor and a corporate attorney. She made it clear who she's running for. I am running for this job for every person who wants their work recognized and rewarded. I am running for every parent who wants a better world for their kids. I'm running for every student who wants a good education. For every senior who wants affordable prescription drugs. For every worker, farmer, dreamer, and builder. I am running for every American. I am running for you. The day was not without its controversy, however, as recent reports of Klobuchar mistreating her staff had already begun to make the rounds. Following her announcement speech, Klobuchar responded to a few questions from the press and insisted, I can be tough. And yes, I can push people. I know that. But in the end, um, there are so many great stories of our staff that have been with me for years who have gone on to do incredible things. This Minneapolis supporter of Klobuchar said of those reports, I think she has a lot of integrity. I, If the worst we're digging up about her is a couple of employees who are dissatisfied, you know, that's maybe if that's her worst area that needs improvement, God bless America. That's what we need. That sentiment was echoed by this supporter. As a supervisor in previous employment, I know for certain that strong expectations of a female supervisor is different than the strong expectations that a male supervisor has. But not everyone was as enthusiastic about Klobuchar's announcement. State GOP Chair Jennifer Carnahan criticized Klobuchar for running for president when, quote, not even six months ago, Klobuchar told Minnesota voters she was committed to serving her full term in the Senate if reelected. Carnahan added, She positions herself as a Midwestern moderate, but truth be told, it's debatable if she even meets that threshold. Um, But in a party, her party, which has this dominant Democrat socialist wing that we're seeing in state after state after state. And I think she's going to quickly find in this race that she's not going to be able to play middle of the road or have it both ways. She's going to have to pick. And I think she'll quickly find out in her party there's no space to play the moderate road. Carnahan had this to say about Klobuchar's record as a senator. Amy Klobuchar has never taken a stance on anything 
important or impactful to this country. You know, where does she stand on border security? Where is she on Syria and Afghanistan? What are her true views and solutions for health care? Is she for Medicare for all? I mean, where is she? So I think this specific dance, Democrats have let her into it, but she's going to very quickly find that she's not going to have a dance partner. So what do the experts think? Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz says Klobuchar, facing a field of better-known Democratic rivals, people like Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, has a formidable fundraising challenge. What she probably has to do between now and Election Day is raise about $1 million a day every day for that time period to be a credible candidate. And that includes also raising just tens of millions of dollars to be ready for Iowa, Texas, and California. And Schultz says to capture national attention, Klobuchar needs a clear argument why she should be president, that being against President Trump is not enough because all the other Democratic contenders will be against him as well. Schultz says beyond that... She's going to be facing a challenge just in terms of the fact that She's more of a Clinton Democrat in a party that's moving more in the Bernie Sanders direction. So what does Klobuchar herself think sets her apart? What makes me unique is I did this announcement speech in the middle of a blizzard. Um, And I think we need people with grit. I have that grit. And it's really important that we hear from all parts of the country and have someone in the White House that has people's back. And to that end, Klobuchar says she's hitting the campaign trail running with planned stops in the weeks ahead in neighboring Wisconsin and Iowa. We'll be following her every step of the way on her uphill climb toward the White House. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. back to Minnesota Matters. Big decisions this week at the Minnesota Capitol and a high-profile exchange in Washington, D.C. are among stories on the political radar screen this week. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with an update. Quite frankly, folks, uh, those of us in rural Minnesota, we feel betrayed by this decision. Scott, that's Republican Representative Dan Fabian of Rosso after Governor Tim Walz this week decided to continue his predecessor Mark Dayton's legal challenge to Anbridge's Line 3 pipeline upgrade. In a written statement, the governor said his administration administration, quote, will raise the Department of Commerce's concerns to the court in hopes of gaining further clarity for all involved. The governor's statement goes on to say projects like these don't only need a building permit to go forward, they also need a social permit. Our administration has met with groups on all sides of the issue, the governor says, and Minnesotans deserve clarity. That afternoon, opponents of Line 3 delivered a thank you card to the governor and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. They made the right decision, and thousands, tens of thousands of people across Minnesota 
to support that decision to keep the Department of Commerce appeal going against the Line 3 pipeline. That's Andy Pearson with the group MN350. This was Governor Wall's first test on what one Minnesota means. Um, And in this example, I think very clearly Governor Walls has failed the test. Said House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka said, I'm always going to be looking for a win-win with the governor. This is a lose-lose. It's a lose for the environment. It's not uh, going to be environmentally good to have an old pipeline in there when we could have had a new one. And it's a lose for our construction workers that are looking forward to these jobs. Backers of the project say it's only a delay and Line 3 will eventually be built anyway. Margaret Levin with the Sierra Club's North Star chapter responds the courts will look closely. The record is quite robust and it's quite clear that the line is not needed, that uh, in order to protect our climate, to protect indigenous rights and Minnesota's clean water, the line should not move forward. And a Twitter war this week between President Trump and new Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. The 5th District Democrat apologized for her comments, suggesting that Republican support for Israel is fueled by donations from a prominent pro-Israel group in Washington. The president on Twitter called Omar's apology lame and said she should resign or at least get off the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Omar tweeted back that the president has trafficked in hate his whole life and asked when he plans to resign. And in the Foreign Affairs Committee this week, Omar clashed with the president's new special envoy for Venezuela, saying because Elliot Abrams pleaded guilty to involvement in the Iran-Contra scandal. I fail to understand why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give to be truthful. If I can respond to that. It wasn't a question. I, I, On was Febu- that was it not was That was not a question. I that was the I... I reserve the right to my time. And getting back to state political news, Democrats who control the Minnesota House and Republicans who run the Senate apparently agree the state should continue kicking in money to hold down increases in health insurance premiums. Bills cleared committees in both chambers this week as HMOs push for an extension of what's called reinsurance. Redwood Falls Republican Senator Gary Dames says Minnesota used to have its own program to cover people with serious medical conditions, which kept the insurance market stable. And uh, then the ACA came along and blew that all up. And now we're still trying to keep insurance rates somewhat in check. But Senator Jeff Hayden, a Democrat from Minneapolis, warned fellow lawmakers. We don't have any real discussion uh, today other than what we had a couple of years ago on what we're actually going to do to help folks that are on the individual market. Dames responded. Reinsurance has worked very well. It's come in much cheaper than what we thought it would. And it's kept the individual market, kept that as a viable option. But Amanda Otero with the group Take Action Minnesota says the state needs to do more than just hold premiums at current levels. She points to a 50-year-old Rochester couple earning $85,000 with a 17-year-old child. With reinsurance, the cheapest qualified health plan that they can buy with less than an $11,000 deductible is $1,737 per month. Governor Tim Walls wants to allow all Minnesotans, regardless of income, to purchase health coverage through state-run Minnesota Care. Republicans warn that would be an expansion of government-run health care. Two years free tuition for undergraduates at state colleges and universities and at the University of Minnesota, the centerpiece of a bill that two Democratic senators introduced this week. U of M junior Orin Chowdhury supports that. Governor Walls, students like me turned out to the polls in high numbers to elect you. 
And now we need you to keep your campaign promise to make college affordable in Minnesota. For the governor to uh, meet all of his campaign promises, there would be huge spending increases. Says Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. Governor Walls unveils his two-year state budget proposal on Tuesday. A bill that would ban the use of homosexual conversion therapy in Minnesota moved forward this week in the Democrat-controlled House after emotional testimony from both sides. Will Sampson Bernstrom says he's okay now despite years of conversion therapy. But that doesn't take away from the years of development that I was told I was a threat and that I lived a sin that I had the power to change. But Pastor Nathan Oilo told lawmakers as an adolescent he had same-sex attractions and got help from mental health professionals and pastoral caregivers. In choosing to live now as a heterosexual man, I in no way feel repressed or unfulfilled sexually. In fact, just the opposite. I've been happily married for 14 years. Sue Abderholden with the National Alliance on Mental Illness Minnesota supports the ban on conversion therapy and told lawmakers. Every single major mental health organization, the psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, counselors support a ban. But attorney Renee Carlson opposes a ban because this bill censors constitutionally protected speech by licensed counselors, clients, and others based on content and viewpoint. A companion bill faces an uphill battle in the Republican-majority Minnesota Senate. Similar legislation has been passed in 14 states. Scott? Thank you, Bill. We'll return with more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Even with a heightened focus on addiction, there are still counseling gaps that exist for many patients seeking pathways to recovery. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. This especially holds true for patients seeking addiction treatment in greater Minnesota. Joining me now to discuss the study findings is Deborah Wamsley with the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Deborah. Can you identify some of the key factors behind these gaps? One of the, um, I think, driving forces behind gaps has to do with the workforce um, infrastructure. It's just really difficult to um, get clinicians trained and um, interested in moving to out-state areas. Um, I was speaking with a colleague who works, um, his, his background in the past couple of decades has been in medication-assisted care, um, particularly with regard to opioid care. And, you know, he said that they had been looking as an organization at expanding to the outer regions of Minnesota, and the biggest barrier was lack of workforce. So one of the other areas that is of concern is just that there, there are, I think I mentioned this um, earlier, that there, is, um, there are 16 um, MAT programs um, that focus more on methadone, but the medication-assisted programs um, across the state of Minnesota, and all but four of those are in the metro region. And if you look at then um, how... Um, the breakout, the breakdown is in terms of the amount of substance use related specifically, again, to opioids. Um, the, the placement for those um, treatment facilities, um, and again, that's just one model of care in terms of tr treating opioid addiction or other addictions. 
Um, but they, they match up somewhat, but there are still some pretty significant gaps in terms of how far people would have to travel in order to access that care. And that creates some real problems for people that are trying to, you know, to heal. Um, because, you know, oftentimes when you go for medication-assisted care, um, it's early in the morning. Um, a lot of times people are showing up at, like, the, the office hours started like it's I want to say six o'clock in the morning it's really early and typically they go early in the morning um, and so when you're thinking about trying to access care um, you're thinking about having to start out really really early um, and if there are financial constraints which oftentimes there are for people that are experiencing um, addiction concerns or mental health concerns um, they're, you know, oftentimes, you know, not at, not their best selves, and so there are, um, you know, oftentimes they're on disability or they have some other um, physical health c- concerns that may prohibit um, ongoing and regular employment. Um, so that creates some real barriers in terms of um, obtaining wellness. And do you think it's fair to say that, um, you know, for someone that's wanting to, to seek treatment, if they've got these different barriers in place, like you had mentioned, um, you know, the, the 16 methadone providers in the state, but uh, four being located in the seven-county area, do you think that this discourages people, I guess, from, from moving forward and seeking treatment because of these different variables? I do, because I think that you know, when you when you begin to think about trying to tackle um, addiction or any really any health concern, I mean, I think that this is true whether you're experiencing hypertension or whether you're experiencing diabetes. There are those internal barriers that people usually are grappling with before they get to the point of actually taking action. And so, and I think that's particularly true with folks that are experiencing a substance use problem. Um, it takes some time, first of all, to recognize that you have an issue with it. Um, it takes an, a whole other momentum, if you will, to just get, you know, just to get to a place where you actually begin to think about making some change. And, you know, for most people that are experiencing substance use disorders or mental health concerns or addiction concerns, um, to, to get to that point takes, I mean, there are a lot of internal things that you have to overcome just to get to the point of, of moving forward. You know, and now that we have all the facts kind of in front of us that we're seeing these gaps, especially in outstate Minnesota, wh- where do we go from here? You know, part of it is there has been and there is a concerted effort on the part of DHS in the state of Minnesota to look at workforce infrastructure, um, not just um, in terms of getting clinicians, but also um, training clinicians that match um, the demographic of people that are that are experiencing substance use disorders. There is a particular disparity in terms of communities of color, both in accessing care and then also having people that work in the field that have an understanding of their life experiences because of their social identity. Um, so Minnesota is looking at that. That is one of the goals in terms of, so we've been um, over the past, oh gosh, it actually started back in around 2012 or 13, um, really examining the, the service delivery for addictions care in Minnesota. And one of the, there were five or six areas that were identified 
uh, as really needing some close scrutiny and some adjustment. And workforce infrastructure and diversity was one of those. The other piece is um, thinking about, so again, you know, methadone and MAT is a model of treatment that is um, specific to people that typically um, have been um, engaged in problematic use with opioids for a period of time. So in other words, their, um, their experience of addiction is probably a little bit more um, advanced. But there are other, you know, methods for treating addiction. And, and I want to also say real quickly that opioids are kind of the drug du jour. Methamphetamines is also on the increase, particularly in rural Minnesota. Um, and we don't hear a whole lot about that. And also, alcohol is still the number one reason that people seek treatment. So um, opioids are, they're, they're, they have kind of a special set of problems in that the death rate is so high, the mortality rate is so high with that use and so unpredictable. Um, and so we do need to pay attention to it, but I don't want to lose fact or lose sight of the fact that there are other, other substances that people are grappling with and really struggle with. So having said that, the other thing that, uh, that is being looked at in Minnesota is the recognition that addiction um, is a chronic condition. It's not an acute condition. And traditionally, our care delivery system has been set up as an episodic or an acute care model. In other words, people you know, they, they, have, they spike in terms of a consequence related to their use, or they may have a, a set of um, issues that are coming into play that force them into a level of discomfort where they seek care. And they go into treatment, generally 28 days, 21 days, um, up to, you know, 90 days if they're in, a, in an outpatient or um, non-residential program. Um, followed by discharge, and then in, you know it kind of it's really hit and miss around the state of Minnesota what sorts of services are provided to people um, or supports are are provided to people once they leave the care of the of the agency that they've sought treatment with. Yeah, and also too, you know, you kind of the umbrella of this uh, seems to keep branching out. But uh, is it also true that uh, many people kind of, I guess, deal with another factor of wait time? There's kind of a gap in yes. that that it can take a long time to get these services. There really is, um, and and that again, that's a structural or a systemic issue. And it's it's you know, there are a number of different payers in Minnesota. So there's DHS that. Um, pays through or the state of Minnesota and, you know, comes in through block grants or through federal funding. There are also private payers, um, and treatment is really expensive. I mean, it it's, can be cost-prohibitive if you're trying to pay for it out of your own pocket. It just, it's too expensive. Um, so if you're thinking about third-party payers, Minnesota has been way ahead of the game for years in terms of um, having pieces in place to pay for both mental health and substance use care. It's been um, mandated under our um, insurance delivery system in the state of Minnesota for I, I don't know how long, but it's been a long time. Thanks again to my guest, Deborah Wamsley with the University of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. 
Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U of M Athletic Department is celebrating Black History Month by posting testimonials of former Golden Gopher athletes on their sports webpage, as well as doing other things throughout the month. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with the former Gopher star athlete with close ties to the school about what this month means. Scott, former Golden Gopher basketball star Quincy Lewis is ninth on the all-time leading scorer list in Minnesota history, and after a long career in pro basketball, both in the NBA and overseas, he returned to work with the University of Minnesota Athletic Department. He's now the director of the M Club, which is designed to keep all former Gopher athletes, young and old, connected to the Golden Gopher program. Lewis first arrived on the Minnesota campus back in 1994 from Little Rock, Arkansas. I first asked him about some of the things the department is doing this month to celebrate former Gopher athletes who helped create a proud history. You know, it's a really exciting time here. Um, in the last five or six years, um, this office and, and the athletic department has been doing a great job of, of celebrating black history. Um, they've been doing it through posters, they've been doing it on social media. Uh, they've been asking a lot of people to come back and give their testimony. And I think for me, uh, that's probably been the biggest thing that I've really enjoyed, especially coming back here and working. Um, for me personally, uh, you know, growing up in, you know, in the South, uh, I tell folks that my, my dad was a sharecropper. Uh, my mom was part of the last segregated South. So uh, that means for people that don't know, her high school was segregated. So uh, it's not that long ago. And, you know, uh, growing up, Arkansas, you know, was a flashpoint of, you know, of, of education, you know, a lot of times we take for granted uh, segregated schools, but there's a time where uh, seven of them had to be ushered in by the National Guard because uh, not only uh, did people not want it, the state of Arkansas and the government didn't want it. So it's it's been interesting. It, it's, it's amazing because sometimes uh, we struggle with where we are. When you think about less than 40 years ago, uh, it was definitely two signs uh, on the on the wall, one that said for colors and one that said for white, you know, just you and I doing this this interview probably wouldn't have happened. So uh, it, it's great. And I think it's it's been uh, awesome. And, you know, it's weird because sports has been pretty much the, the way uh, that has segregated um, in the most nonviolent way. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to continue to do. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a fabulous time of year. Very good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's former Gopher basketball star Quincy Lewis, who's now the director of the M Club. For more Gopher athlete testimonials on Black History Month, you can log on to gophersports.com slash blackhistory. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.